We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. Aloha and we welcome to, to the Layman's Lounge podcast, a ministry of the laymanslounge.com, where we exist to bring everyday theology to encourage Christians for everyday life. Um, on the other line, we have Samuel L. Bray and Drew Keen, who are to, together the editors of the 1662 Book of Common Prayer that was released in March um, from IVP. Aloha, brothers. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah. We're totally continuing on the Anglican vibe because it's a uh, it's what the it's what's happening with the masses. Let's call a spade a spade. Something's going on. So, as a side note, we're giving away two copies of the 1662 Book of Common Prayer um, to some of our listeners to enter. Just share like th- this interview, retweet it, or post this interview, and then tag a friend, and we're gonna send you and your friend a copy of this of this little book. And uh, in, in one week, we'll announce it in one week from now. So anyways, go ahead and do that. So first, brothers, can you guys, um, we, could, we could start with you, Drew. Can you um, introduce yourself, perhaps sort of sharing your background and involvement with this project and, and maybe your favorite 90s song? <laughs> 90s song. Uh, I, I will have to ponder that. Um, my background, I am a lecturer in the Department of Writing and Linguistics at Georgia Southern University. Uh, I served two terms on the Standing Commission on Liturgy and Music for the Episcopal Church. And I had um, been publishing um, some academic pieces and also some popular pieces about liturgy that drew the attention of Professor Bray um, and he reached out to me, and we began corresponding on liturgical and uh, historical topics, particularly related to Anglicanism. And uh, one day, it seemed to me as if it was out of the blue, but I'm sure it was very calculated. He asked if we could do a phone call, and we did a phone call, and he said, wouldn't it be lots of fun to, to edit a new edition of the 1662 Book of Common Prayer? And I said, that, yeah, that would be a dream project, thinking this was just shooting the breeze. And uh, he said, well, okay, I'll, I'll start us a, a Dropbox folder and we can start working on it. So <laughs> that's how it began. I'm still not sure about the 90s song. I, I, I'm, I don't listen to a lot of contemporary music. Well, it's from the 90s. <laughs> right. All right, we'll, we'll let you slide on that one. Um, what was the last song you uh, had spinning? Uh, the last song that I had spinning was uh, Brahms' uh, String Sextet, I think number okay. one. Okay, a little refined, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well played, sir. All right, all right, uh, Sam, you're up, my brother. Uh, it's great to be with you. Um, so the uh, my involvement in the project was... Uh, the mirror image of Drew's. Um, so uh, it's it's been a lot of fun to work with Drew on this. Uh, he knows a lot more about the prayer book than I do, um, but uh, but we're a good team. And for uh, both of us, um, the prayer book is um, something 
that's that's incredibly powerful in its language. This language has gripped many people, uh, lay people, clergy, poets, musicians, um, just ordinary readers, children, adults. So both of us really connect with the language of the prayer book, but it's also been important. I think I can say this for both of us, but just speaking for myself, it's been a really important part of my devotional life now mm. for um, um, going back for at least uh, 15 years. So um, I'm, I'm really grateful for it. It's uh, through, uh, through lots of different seasons. It's been, um, it's been a, uh, um, it's been a great, beautiful, steadying, instructing presence and a way to walk with God. So I, I really appreciate it. And it's been great working with you on this. And you're not going to give me one smashing pumpkin reference. Fine. I, so I, I'm, uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you, Jason. I, uh, I, I'm afraid I, I, uh, couldn't name a smashing pumpkin song. I know smashing pumpkins is a band. Uh, let's see. What have I been, what have I been spinning lately? If I can uh, use the word, um, well, we've been trying to listen to Bach St. John's passion song. Uh, I played some Dean Martin a couple nights ago Ooh, and yeah. uh, let's see the we hosted a church picnic not too long ago. There was a, I think there was a good bit of Bob Dylan playing. Okay. Um, so All right. and we'll he, was, he was alive in the nineties. He's been alive in every decade. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Dr. Dylan, if you heard that. Um, so, you know, before we launch into the trees, can you give us the forest of what is the Book of Common Prayer and what is the, the 1662 version of it? And what are the other versions? Sure. Um, so the Book of Common Prayer is a product of the Reformation. And um, in England, the Reformation happened primarily top down, which is different than the way in which it manifested on the continent. Mm. Um, and the earliest phase of the Reformation under Henry VIII was very uh, modest, and Henry was not interested in, in a lot of uh, evangelical theology. Um, but then after Henry died and his son Edward VI uh, became king, he had been raised by Protestants, and uh, that sort of opened the door to a whole new program. And so Archbishop Cranmer, Thomas Cranmer, uh, was interested in having a confessional statement, which is what eventually became the 39 Articles of Religion, um, a liturgy, and also a new canon law. Now, he never succeeded with the canon law reform that came later, but um, the Book of Common Prayer, first in 1549, and then a revised edition in 1552, and it's that second revised edition of 1552 that became the model for subsequent uh, revisions. Uh, it's primarily a framework for engaging with scripture. Um, in fact, that's how the preface of the prayer book presents itself. It says, uh, in earlier times, they would read the whole Bible through, and in the Middle Ages, uh, they started breaking it up into chunks, and it became difficult to figure out what to read on what day, and it says that... Um, there was sometimes more time spent trying to figure out what you were supposed to do in a particular liturgy than actually spent doing that thing. So uh, it was about simplification of the engagement with scripture, creating a framework that was really user-friendly. Um, and so it was modeled uh, for the daily prayer services on the civil calendar, 
And so you'd have January, February, March, all the days listed and what chapter to read, uh, working your way through the Old Testament once a year, working your way through the New Testament three times a year, and working your way through the Psalms every month. And then, of course, it also provides a form for uh, the Lord's Supper, baptism, all the services that you would need to conduct the public life of the church. So that's sort of the bird's eye view. So you can think of it as um, having two uh, use cases or, or scenarios in which it's going to be used. Um, one is it can order the whole life of a church. And so it has everything you need in it for the church. Um, but it's also something that, um, that you can use on your own. The morning and evening prayer services have been loved by lay people um, for centuries. And you've, you've got those and you've got the Psalms and you've got the collects to pray through the church year. And then you're basically, you're all set for like, you, you, you've got a way to read the Bible, to pray with the church, to order yourself after the year. And it's a, it's a, it's a course to walk in that lots of people have walked in before. And a lot of it doesn't change from day to day, but J.I. Packer used the illustration for the 1662 book home prayer services that they're, they're a certain kind of adventure. They're an adventure of like walking through some woodland, but woodland that you've been through before, but each time you go through, you notice something different. Hmm. There's a, a tree you haven't paid attention to. Hmm. There's a different bird on one of the branches. Hmm. Uh, it's the same, but it's different. And that's the kind of, presence that the book of common prayer can be in your devotional life so sam well, how how did you what made you go you know what would be helpful the 1662 version updated um and, and that's how you wrote this brother in so what <laughs> what what went through your mind is like that would be we really need this and then what did you pitch to ivp for them to go oh you, you're right we do need to scratch that itch so um Lots of people are talking about the 1662. It's the gold standard for Anglican liturgy. And so um, you get a, a lot of Anglicans around the world are, will we'll say like the, our, our standard for our worship is the 1662. Um, but it's sort of hard to use in, mm -hmm. in, in some places because of a, a few hurdles. And so one of those is like the state prayers. You get these prayers for the queen and it's totally great to pray for the queen, but you get prayers for the queen that are like in every service. But what if you're not in England? And, and so you, so with a little adjustment to use prayers from other prayer books there, mm. um, you can do that. So, so the 1662, um, there are a few things that make it different. I, I could go on a great length on this and I won't, I'll just like rattle off a, a several, but one is, the language tends to be um, uh, richer, grander, more rhythmic. In a, in a, it just have a little sense of distance compared to some of the uh, some of the ones now, which are other good prayer books. Mm -hmm. um, also, it's uh, like I said, it's the gold standard where um, Anglicans around the world recognize it as something that holds Anglicans together and an important part of Anglican identity. And then it's also just simpler. Like if you sit down with a prayer book that's been published in the last 50 years, what's going to happen is you're going to, you're going to like open it up and you're going to option after option after option. And you spend all your time choosing. 
And it's like Drew was saying, Cranmer thought about the medieval services where you can spend more time figuring out what you're supposed to read than you actually do reading it. Yeah. And so the 1662 is just it, simple. In a way, it's, it's the easiest prayer book to use. It's mm. got the richest language. And then there are that we could go into theological stuff too, but but basically, like this is just the most compelling and attractive vision of the daily office. And a lot of people say that, and a mm -hmm. lot of people want that, but there just hadn't been a book that made it easy to to do like this outside of um, England. So it it wasn't. It's not just like a nostalgic collector's piece, like a like an old. Tyndale version or something that is cool. It, it's actually helpful and, and meant to be used daily. Is that what I'm hearing? Yep. This book exactly. is not intended for study or uh, to look pretty on your shelf. Uh, there is a great edition of the 1662 for academic study that was recently produced by uh, Brian Cummings. And um, we highly recommend it, but it's not very useful for worship because it was designed mm. for academic purposes. So our book was specifically designed for use in worship, both domestic and public. Um, and uh, the reason that we don't think of it as just a matter of nostalgia is because both of us found our way to the 1662 through prayer. Um, mm -hmm. Both of us, uh, our first encounter with the prayer book was with the 1979 prayer book. And uh, the more we used it and the more we found out about its history, we found that the things that we liked best about the 1979 were features of the older text. And so we kept going back and back until mm. you get to the classic text, which is the 1662. And that's the prayer book that spread Anglicanism around the world. That's, that's the common denominator, as it were, amongst all the different mm. autonomous churches that make up Anglicanism. So we've got like, in the King James Version Bible, you know, we've got our 66 books and, and those are there. And that they're this, that's the same as the ESV and the NIV. You've got like a few differences, like in first John, where it says like, you know, the King James says, and the three are one, for example, is this 1662 version. Is it, it what I'm, I think what I'm hearing from you, it's not just like all the same stuff is there as our, the modern versions. Like what are like actual specific differences? Are there entire sections that have been removed and you are putting back and could you specifically actually speak to the theological aspects, especially for those of us who are like historically orthodox, you know, if you will, or whatever? Uh, one of the most obvious differences uh, that I think new users will notice is that there's um, fewer occasional prayers, prayers for specific occasions mm. in the 1662 than we've come to expect in the 20th century. So 20th century prayer books tend to have a large set of occasional prayers. And in order to address that particular concern, we included an appendix of additional prayers. Mm. Uh, so it's not part of the main text. We separated it out so people know that's not really part of the 1662. Mm. But all the prayers that we included are prayers that um, we uh, felt fit with the idiom of the 1662 and the theology of the 1662. So we really didn't want to go beyond those two things. Some of the um, services, most of the services, even though there are differences between them, are the, the services with the same names are going to be in all prayer books. So they're all going to have morning prayer. They're all going to have evening prayer. They're all going to have psalms. They're all going to have collects, which are these short prayers you pray throughout the church year. 
Um, so at the sort of like big level of um, what the what the services are, um, um, there's a lot of continuity. I mean, some differences would be there's an extra creed in the uh, in the um, uh, 1662, the Athanasian Creed that is uh, attributed to the, or consistent with the teaching of, it's not actually written by uh, St. Athanasius. Um, and uh, so that'd be an example. There are special prayers for use at sea for the, um, and that you can generalize for like times of crisis and danger um, that are in the 1662. Mm. One thing that's different, and I think this actually has a nice theological connection is if you look in the 1662 at the occasional prayers it does have, it's got prayers for plague and the time of plague or great sickness. Mm. And it has a, a prayer for that. And it has two prayers for Thanksgiving after deliverance from a plague or time of great sickness. Mm. And if you look through most prayer books in the last 50 years, they all take those out. Mm. And they take them out because we think we sort of like, we got that one down. Yeah. Like we, <laughs> We just don't need to worry about that anymore. <clears throat> and um, there's a kind of hubris about that hmm. to think that we are so much in control of nature that uh, we don't need to worry about plague anymore. And so the, uh, um, I think that's, I think there's a, that's, there's a more, there's a, a deeper theology and uh, good spiritual reminders in hmm. having prayers about plague in your prayer book. And now, yeah. like, if you don't have them, you got to go looking for them somewhere else. So, um, but they're, they're there because, you know, this is a, a constant fact of life through almost all of human history. So and, and this is a good segue into the theology question that you've already asked. Um, the prayers for plague and all the prayers for sickness, there's a whole liturgy for visitation of the sick. Um, in the 1662, conceptualize sickness in an Augustinian manner, which is uh, somewhat less common now uh, in the 20th century. You'll be hard pressed to find prayers for sickness in, that were written in the 20th century that have that perspective. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is that uh, they saw all human ailment as a result of sin, both original and actual, both individual and corporate. Mm. And conceptualizing sickness in that way was not uh, excluding natural causes. Early modern people were aware that sickness had natural causes and that you should be cautious about the things that naturally can bring about sickness. Mm. But they saw that all on the level of secondary causation and at primary causation, there was divine providence. And so you can always conceptualize things that go wrong, things that break, things that don't work the way they're supposed to as related to human sin. Mm -hmm. And so that theological lens is present all throughout the prayer book. It is um, based in an Augustinian perspective about sin and salvation. And the services are all structured in such a way so that it begins with the recognition of sin and encounter or confrontation with sin, repentance, then a presentation of the gospel, uh, hearing God's word, and then a response to God's word in the form of uh, praise and charitable actions, such as praying for others, uh, and then ultimately in uh, the Eucharist, which means praise or thanksgiving, uh, partaking in the Lord's Supper in grateful remembrance for salvation accomplished. So that 
pattern is present all through the prayer book and that theology is uh, sort of the backbone of the prayer book. So, so where I'm here, where I'm at here in Hawaii, I think there's one Episcopalian church and like on the website, like they're one of their jams is like, we welcome everyone. And there's, if you want to ha- get married here and there's like non-traditional um, marriage taking place there at that church. Um, and so I guess, and even the- theologically, uh, you know, non, my, con- my context is reform is like, you know, confessionally reformed some- to the standard. So it's far from confessionally reformed. And so my question for you is, can a can a clergy member of you know the Anglican or Episcopal Church can they read the sixteen sixty two version and have no qualms and still come out um, what in a way that I would say oh that that doesn't align with um, historical Christianity? So um, we are trying to. Um, present the 1662 and um it has weathered a lot of storms over a lot of time and it has been used by people through many different controversies and what it does is uh unlike things that are written in any particular moment of controversy like it doesn't it doesn't usually tackle things very directly it might be like matters of controversy now so one of the things you'll find with it is um, the, the 1662 winds up um, being used by lots of different Christians all around the world, including lots of different Anglican provinces, including Anglican provinces that have different positions on all kinds of disputed questions, including like questions about marriage. But the 1662, it does lay out the sort of traditional Anglican view of marriage in the marriage service. So you have the marriage service that's there, but it doesn't, uh, it, it, uh, it's, it's about 350 years ago. So it, uh, it isn't written with con- controversies now in mind, mm-hmm. though uh, it's got a kind of durability that means I expect it'll keep being used for centuries more. Sure. Another uh, angle on that, um, you know, one thing that and I can't remember exactly where he says it, but C.S. Lewis talks about reading old books. I think it's in his preface to Athanasius on the Incarnation. Yeah. Talks about reading old books, not because uh, they had a superior perspective, but because they're not caught in our particular moment in time. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. our controversies are not their controversies. Mm-hmm. Our blind spots are not their blind spots. And so Good. reading old books, it has sort of the effect of, I think he calls it a sea breeze, that clean sea breeze. Uh, and so one of the ways in which the 1662 is advantageous is that it takes you outside of the current moment. Mm. Uh, and all the prayers in it have, as Sam said, stood the test of time. Mm. And it won't answer all the questions that current controversies bring to the table. Mm-hmm. But as we engage in those controversies, we need to come to terms with what has lasted. In other words, we need to ask these questions in relation to what has held us together Mm. in the past. And Mm. so we're not trying to answer any of those contemporary questions, but we are saying this text has held us together 
for centuries. Mm. This pattern of prayer has held us together for centuries. Good. Whatever new questions we might be asking and new answers we might be coming to, we need to do it in relation to this. We mm. can't get away from this. Um, so I, that's another way of thinking about sure. that. So, so speaking of the fact of it, like you're saying an, an older book and you know was it going back to when it was first written or compiled um was it to like teach folks or was it to bring unity like to increase piety or like specifically correct errors or like what was like the the desired function for this thing Jason, that's a great multiple choice question. Can you stick in all of the above at the end of that? I felt that coming. Yes. <laughs> yes, it was absolutely intended to teach doctrine. I mean, in, in 1549 and 1552, the English population was not Protestant. Uh, there was a minority of Protestant leadership at the highest levels. And, um, you know, the, the prayer book uh, caused riots early on. So it definitely had a didactic function to try mm. to teach um Protestant theology in a persuasive way, uh, but it also was facilitating the prayer life of people who disagreed disagreed with each other on all sorts of things, and mm. so it was also an instrument of unity as well. Mm. Um, and it doesn't try to impose more doctrinal specificity than is necessary. So, for oh, instance, good. it's it's very clear about justification by faith, mm. and yet. You know, in the 19th century, there were many Anglo-Catholics who used the 1662 Book of Common Prayer who didn't believe in justification by faith in the Protestant way. Mm. And they still used the book. Interesting. And so you're reminded of um, those, uh, I think Richard Hooker might have been the first one who said this, that you're justified by faith, but you're not justified by your belief in justification by faith. Mm. You're justified by faith in Jesus Christ, not your mm. faith in that doctrine. Mm -hmm. And so the prayer book doesn't try to impose any more doctrinal specificity than is necessary for people in their prayer life. Mm. That sounds like a quote from Spurgeon rather than Hooker. <laughs> well, Spur uh, I think that Hooker was the first one who addressed the question whether or not Roman Catholics who didn't believe in justification could actually be justified by faith. <laughs> So how is this, you, you kind of touched on it, but how is, how has this book been used through the years? Like the, let's go at just the, specifically at like the church level and just like, you know, at the family and personal level. So at the family and personal level, like Jane Austen's family used it every morning for morning prayer and every evening for evening prayer. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, I mean, of course, usage varies. Um across across time and people but um lots of families and individuals have used it and loved it mm. um in um in the church of england the, um this is the, still the authorized prayer book and until the 20th century it was the only prayer book in use um mm. so it would be used for every service of the church mm. um as the um church of england spread around the world and you get what's called the anglican communion this was widely used as the as the book in all the provinces and then over time each of the provinces would develop its own and so it's this sort of like the the um the grandparent of mm -hmm. all of the liturgies that are used in 
cross Anglican churches. Mm -hmm. So uh, in terms of what it meant for church and how it was used in the church, it radically altered the way that church worked in England. Um, clergy before the Reformation prayed on behalf of the people. And they said mass daily. Every priest had to say mass daily, regardless of whether or not anyone was there. The presence, the physical presence of the people was entirely superfluous. Mm. And when the people came together for mass, they didn't, they couldn't understand the liturgy because it was in Latin. They usually couldn't hear the liturgy because it was said quietly and it was very far away from them in mm. the chancel while they were in the nave. They were engaged in their own devotions if they were engaged in devotions at all mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. nave. And the moment in which they were united with the clergy was for the elevation of the consecrated mm -hmm. bread, right? That was the, the moment of uh, most significance. By contrast, the Book of Common Prayer says that the clergy are to pray daily morning and evening prayer openly in the church unless they're hindered by sickness or any other urgent cause. It's in English and all throughout it says, read with a loud voice, read distinctly, turn towards the people, right? All of That's these awesome. rubrical instructions are a radical alteration of how church was done. Wow. And it says uh, that in this, this is in the, uh, in the preface, it says, uh, he shall cause a bell to be told thereunto a convenient time before he begin, that the people may come to hear God's word and to pray with him. So the ringing of the bell, sufficient time ahead of the service to call everyone to come there yeah. to hear God's word and to pray with him. So that's a radical alteration of how church functioned. And it, I think it had some unexpected results because the book is clearly just by, by its rubrics alone the, the rules and instructions it provides, it assumes that you're doing this in church. But mm. very early on, people started praying this at home as well. And uh, one of the reasons we know that is because an early commentator uh, provided clarification about what to do at home when you don't have any clergy present and you're reading the absolution in morning and evening prayer, mm. where you're assured of God's pardon. And he said, uh, he quoted from Tertullian, the, uh, the third century Latin theologian, uh, and said, in cases of necessity, all Christians are priests. So you can read this. And even a woman can read the absolution, he said. <laughs> so we know from that early on that people were reading this at home. That is awesome. That's really, that's really helpful. And that's super compelling. Thank you. So there's 767 pages, I think, that those are seen in this. And it's like... So I have, I'm just now cracking open the book of common prayer. You know, I've been reading the cat. I'm, I'm proud of myself that I'm even reading other catechisms and confessions of faith. But now I, I, I'm forced to read this thing because a lot of the people who read this, I, I appreciate their fruit and their holistic faith, if you will, not just heaven to gain and hell to shun. And I know I'm just speaking your guys' language right now, but this thing is, so intimidating and just daunting and this is the part you know what we're gonna we're gonna have to get to and and it might be a long response from you guys but we needed can you guys drill down on this thing give us some forest and then some trees so it's like specifically on the 29 sections in the book of common prayer where 
like we'll, we could even narrow it down. You could go as wide as you want, but at a minimum, where does the like the average layman um, who wants to use it for like personal devotion, where are they going to spend most of their their time? Are they going to read every page? Is there just like section three and section four, which equal about 40 pages? Sorry. So no. my answer is um, that the page you should start on, like get ready for it. It's page one. Um, page one, Arabic numeral one, not Roman numeral one, um, is the start of morning prayer. Mm. And you can read through morning prayer and you can read through it like without, without paying any attention to the instructions that are in red. You can just read all the words in black mm. and, and until you get used to it. And then you can worry about the instructions. There are rubrics mm -hmm. that are in red. Mm -hmm. um, there are a couple of places where it'll tell you to go read something else. Mm -hmm. like go read a prayer from the, one of the collects. Mm -hmm. You can work that in later. You don't have to, you don't have to use that when you're getting started. And it'll tell you, uh, at one place, it'll tell you to go look up the Psalms. Mm -hmm. And if you turn to the Psalms, they're all marked. Like, here's what you read on like day one of the month. So first day of the month, here's what you read in the morning. First day of the month, here's what you read in the evening. Mm -hmm. Second day of the month, here's. So as long as you like turn to morning prayer on page one, and you can find your way to the Psalms, then you can just use those two parts of it. And that will get you started. And it will get you into scripture. And it will get you into prayer. And um, there, there are other complications. There are other like special things on some days. But there's a lot less of that in this prayer book than there are in any others. It's, it's much simpler. But if it's daunting, and I understand it's daunting, it's big, it's got a lot of moving parts, just start with that. That's Page good. one and know where the Psalms are. And that's quick, all, all you got to do. Quick follow-up. Um, you know, I want you, and then and you too, Keen, But um, So like, for example... I just flipped over to the order for morning prayer daily throughout the year on page one. Now, how can I tell where this thing ends? Does it end on 14? Like is, or is each page its own specific prayer or like, how, how, yeah, is it, is it a quickie? Is it like the length of the Lord's prayer? Or am I going to read like six pages? And is this meant to be memorized or? You'll know that morning prayer has ended when you get to the part that says here endeth the order of morning prayer throughout the year. <laughs> it's on page 16. Um, okay. uh, there are parts of it that you will memorize probably fairly quickly because mm. they stay the same from day to day. So for mm. instance, you're probably going to memorize the Apostles Creed fairly quickly. Mm. Um, you're probably going to memorize uh, uh, the Benedictus fairly quickly, which is uh, the song that John the Baptist's father sings at the mm. beginning of uh, Luke's gospel, mm -hmm. because that's said every day. Mm. Uh, so those pieces you will probably memorize. Um, and you're going to say the Lord's Prayer a lot, uh, but the pieces that you memorize aren't going to be effort to memorize because you use them often enough that it will happen effortlessly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And wherever you need to turn to another place, it, it gives you instructions in red. All the instructions you need to follow are in red to tell you uh, what you need to do. So uh, I would encourage anyone who's trying to use it for the first time, start on page one and read through to page 16 to yourself silently, and you'll get a feel for how morning prayer works. And then after that, you'll be ready to go. The structure for evening prayer is almost exactly the same as morning prayer. And are we reading that, that same prayer, 1 to 16, every day? Or is there a new prayer introduced? Uh, there, the things that will change from day to day uh, are the scripture readings, 
and then one of the prayers that you read towards the end of the service, which will be changing every week. So every Sunday you'll get a new one. And that's the collect, uh, which is a little short prayer that goes for the whole week. And as Sam said, you, if you're starting out and you don't want to do the collect because you don't know where to flip to, just skip over that part. And so the, and the Psalms will change. The Psalms will change. The scripture readings will change. So one way to think about this is you get this like um, wrapper or packaging that's pretty much constant, that stays the same all the time. And then within that, you get the um, two scripture readings and the Psalms. Mm -hmm. And the, so those will change and turn over. But what's around it doesn't change. So that's the packing good. is the same. The, the, the wrapping is the same. The, the three boxes inside change. And what this winds up meaning is it draws your attention to the scripture you're reading into the Psalms, while that consistent frame around it um, means you, um, you get familiarity, you get memorization, it, like children can pick it up. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there's this great letter by C.S. Lewis in Letters to Malcolm, where he's talking about liturgy. And he says, um, the perfect service is, is uh, one where you just like, where you're, you're you know the steps where you're not having to think about it. It's like a dance. Yeah. And so you're not, as long as you're counting steps, you're not really dancing. Oh, wow. That's but, so good. but once you know the steps and you don't have to count them, you're dancing. And so what, what happens here is because the stuff around it doesn't change, like you know, you know it, you know the steps, mm -hmm. but the scripture needs to change because we need to get exposed to all the scripture. Old mm. Testament and New Testament, and the Psalms are nourishing us every day. And what those don't change, those change, but the wrapper doesn't. The the um, the wrapper is also the framework. The wrapper, the parts that don't change from day to day, is designed to situate you properly in response to Scripture. So the first part of the service is confession of sin. The last part of the service is prayers for ourselves ourselves and our neighbors and the world right the first part is orienting you properly before you hear god's word mm -hmm. and the second part is responding appropriately to god's word mm -hmm. and so if it frames the way that you should approach scripture so scripture is not just casual right it's it's being done worshipfully and the thing that it, when i first started using the prayer book the thing that it reminded me the most of was when I was a child, um, I would spend as much time as I could with my grandparents. And I would like to get up early in the morning. Most kids don't want to get up early in the morning because if I got up early, I could sit in the living room with my grandparents and hear them read the Bible and pray. Mm. And there was, even though it wasn't scripted the way that the prayer book is, there was a pattern to what they did every day that stayed yeah. the same. Yeah. They read a different scripture every day, but there was a pattern around the scripture reading that stayed the same, that framed how they approached the scriptures. And so mm -hmm. it's very much like that in the way that it frames what you're doing with this pattern that allows you to approach scripture uh, the way that scripture tells us to approach it, right? Mm -hmm. With humility and mm -hmm. repentance. So good. So I'm hearing... That, that's a good intro. So at a minimum, we could do the morning prayer, the evening prayer, which are just on those first, you know, the morning's 13 prayers. And it's, it's self-contained to where different days it'll cross-reference me where I need to go. Now, having said that, if I wanted to take it a step deeper, um, what's, uh, 
what would be the natural next thing? Would it be like church calendar or, or what would be sort of the next like tier that uh, if I want to become move from a freshman to like a, you know, J, JV, JV. Um, so one, once you're working in the Psalms and then the next thing is probably working in that collect and that ties you in with the church calendar. So you got to figure out like Easter is going to be easy. So this is actually a great time to start is um, you, you start on Easter Sunday, reading the collect for Easter and you read that for a week. Um, and then you, on the next Sunday, you'll get the first, it's the first Sunday after Easter. And then mm-hmm. you'll read that collect for a week and then so on. Um, the other, the next place to go to, to, um, to elevate your game is to um, look at the table of lessons at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So right before morning prayer, if you open a morning prayer, page one, and then you go back to the end of the Roman numeral pages, you'll see these pages that say like January mm-hmm. matins, January evensong, February matins, February evensong. Matins is just a fancy word for morning prayer. Evensong is just a fancy word for evening prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, but what those do is those show you, okay, you find the day of the month and you find the, uh, you find the month. You find the day and it tells you what scripture to read. Mm. So that's going to tell you what the first lesson is going to be. And you'll see that when you get, you're bumping along in morning prayer and it says, here, you read the first lesson. Okay. That's how you find what the first lesson is. And it says, here, you read the second lesson. And then you find that one. So basically if you have those parts, if you look at the table of lessons and find the, the, the readings for the day, lesson just means reading. You go, you look up the Psalms and you look up the collect for the church year. Like you put those in and you have gotten down like 99% of what you need to do for morning Mm -hmm. prayer. Mm -hmm. I would say if you, if you want to then progress just very slightly beyond that, that you could uh, turn to page 31 and you'll find the litany. The litany is designed as it says in the, in the red uh, instructions right before it, uh, it's to be said after morning prayer on Sundays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And so this would be something to add on to once you've gotten used to morning prayer, to add this on to the end of it on Mondays, Sunday, or Sundays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Mm. And the litany is an absolutely marvelous form of prayer. If you have people that you're praying with in the morning, if you're doing it in families and there's more people in the household than just one, mm. you can divide up between the person who's leading and the people that are responding because it's uh, responsorial. But in terms of the comprehensiveness of coverage, you're not going to leave anything out of your prayers if you pray the litany, right? It is a comprehensive coverage of all the things that we are instructed in scripture to pray Mm -hmm. for on a regular basis Mm -hmm. and the, the depth and the seriousness with which it has us pray for those things is really uh, remarkable. So I would say that's your next step after you've gotten used to morning and evening prayer is add the litany. J.I. Packer said that the litany is basically like a expanded paraphrase of the Lord's prayer. Mm. Every petition of the Lord's prayer, the um, petitions for the coming of God's kingdom, the petitions for forgiveness, the petitions for um, provision for our daily needs, the provision for deliverance from Mm. sin and evil, um, and uh, even as the litany says for beating down Satan under our feet, 
all of those um, petitions are just like working out and amplifying the Lord's prayer. You guys, this is so good so far. And you give me a lot of C.S. Lewis quotes and I'm loving that. Um, this question might be a little bit annoying, but I think it will functionally, it will help those of us not familiar. Would you guys be willing to maybe give us like a April 8th, just, just, we don't have to read everything, right? Re even read anything, but just give us like a day in the life of a proper usage of the book of common prayer that is, is JV. And if you wanted to, you could even give us varsity, but maybe like April 8th, could we maybe do something like that? Sure. Yeah, brothers. Are you asking what would happen on April 8th? Like where? Okay. It's April 8th. It's the morning. And yep. I want to get my book of common prayer on. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's so um, I'm at the table of lessons, Roman numeral uh, 40. Um, April Matins is on the left-hand page. So this is where you go for the morning service to figure out the table of lessons. So I'm okay. going to look up the Bible readings before I get started. And for the eighth, it is first Samuel 19 is going to be the first lesson. And Acts 5 is going to be the second lesson. Oh, wait, so, hold on. Let me get here with you. So I'm looking at Roman numeral XL. Is that correct? Yep. Roman numeral yep. XL, April Matins. And you just run down till you get to the day eight on the left. And then yeah. you, you move your finger over to the right. And under that first lesson column, it says 1 Samuel 19. Yep. And second lesson is Acts 5. So I'd get out my Bible and mark those two places before I started. Okay. All right, brothers. Making it for just real quick. If I were to go up to the fourth, I see Ambrose and Milan there. Um, that That's not the Bible reading, but it's obviously Ambrose. So wh yep. what am I, if I had landed on the, that day, what, what am I think? What do I have to do with Ambrose? There's nothing special to do there. There's no special readings for Ambrose. There's no special prayer for Ambrose, but if it, uh, if it sparks your curiosity, then I hope that it would make you go and look up who Ambrose was and what he did in the church. So it's it's a, sort of a placeholder for the memory of Ambrose, but there's no oh. liturgical observation to go with it. You guys are taking me to school so good right now. Okay, okay, Sam, please please do continue. Then we're uh, I think we said the eighth, so we're First Samuel five nineteen, and then the second lesson. And when we're saying lesson, is that is the first lesson the morning prayer and the second lesson is the evening prayer? Lesson no. is just um, uh, from the Latin word lectio, which means reading. So first reading and second reading, first lesson, okay. second reading. And those are both going to be for morning prayer because that's the left-hand page here on Matins is morning prayer. And the right-hand page is um, where it says even song. Okay. Those are going to be the first and second lesson for evening prayer. Okay. Okay. Uh, there are two more things to look up. Um in terms of uh, the to get ready for this for the for the service, so doing the full on varsity. So you're going to want to look up the Psalms, and so you turn to the Psalms. They're later on in the in the book, like around page uh, 400, 500 around there. So you're going to look for day eight. So you go until you see day eight at the top, and then you're going to look for day eight morning prayer, and that's going to start on page 409. Boom. So you're going to put a marker in 409. You can use the ribbon for that if you want. But there's one other thing you're going to need to mark in the book. Okay. 
Okay, and then you're gonna figure out the collect of the day. Now, uh, Easter's coming up on the 4th. So I'm gonna so pause you here. Are, is the entire Psalter in here? Yes. Yes. So that's why this, that's part of the reason this book is gargantuous, but knowing that it's a little less intimidating. Yep. Yep. Okay. Oh, a lot that's of the longest, the longest section in the whole book is the Psalter. Okay. Okay. So then you're going to, you got to find one more thing. And once you find this, you're all set. And that is, you got to find the collect for Easter day, because that's what you're going to read all, all that week after Easter. Okay. And so the collect for Easter day is going to be on page 136. And it'll say right at the top, Easter day. And, and then why say, did I know that I needed to go to Easter day if Easter day was, you know, if we're doing the eighth, it was a few days before. Because it's, so it's just the last Sunday. Okay. Yeah. And th there are wrinkles and complexities we can put in here, but for, for, for keeping it, varsity but simple varsity so we're like second um, string varsity that that'll that'll suffice second string varsity um it's for the the collect for the previous sunday okay or, or if it's on sunday the collect for that day okay so you got those three things and now you're set and uh and so you can turn to page one okay so now we have essentially we're doing that morning prayer that's at page one and at some point it'll say, do the Psalm reading. And we just saved our spot yep. and we're going yep. there and it'll say, do the Bible reading, which is, I think we said first Samuel and, and acts. And you just plug yep. it in. Yep. How long, how long does the actual praying and reading take place? And for you guys, even personally, like, are you doing that every day or mo we're not going to judge you, but like, is that, is that a reason? Like, is it reasonable in the sense of like, 21, 2021 people last about like a tweet length. Well, it, it would, if you're reading it through, it should take around 30 minutes. The, the variable elements are the Bible reading. Sometimes they're a little bit longer than others, mm. uh, but around 30 minutes for morning prayer and 30 minutes for evening prayer. I find morning prayer very easy to do consistently because uh, I get up the same time every day. Mm. Evening prayer is the harder piece because it depends on uh, things that change for other people as well as myself. So I might have set aside a time when I'm going to do evening prayer and then, you know, I need to help make supper or something. So mm -hmm. there's, there's things that get in the way of evening prayer unless the whole household is doing it. Okay. And so that is the one that can be trickier. Uh, but morning prayer, if you get up at the same time every day, can be a pretty consistent pattern mm -hmm. uh, realistically. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're singing some parts of it, this is like, this is first string varsity. If you're going to sing some parts of it, then it might take a little longer. Mm, okay. Now here's a question. So the, is when we're talking about the common prayers, is that just the morning and evening prayer? Are there, or, or are there other like recorded prayers that we're going to be praying along with the saints? Well, the whole book are, are considered common prayers and that they're the prayers commonly used. Uh, the daily offices happen every day, morning and evening prayer, are the daily offices, but there are also occasional offices. So for instance, uh, the liturgy for the Lord's Supper is intended for use on Sundays and then other major holy days, uh, like uh, for instance, the Feast of the Ascension uh, mm -hmm. or Pentecost, right? Those, those other days. Um, and you can... Uh, while that's primarily intended for church, you could read the first half of the liturgy for the Lord's Supper at home by yourself. In fact, uh, 
in until relatively recently, until the 20th century, weekly communion was not normal for Anglicans, and they would read only the first half of the liturgy for the Lord's Supper after morning prayer on Sundays. Hmm. This would be um, a good time for us to plug that um, IVP has a web page about the book, and it's got some frequently asked questions, and it has some additional resources. Nice. And two of those additional resources are like beginner's guides to different parts of the prayer book. So one is a companion to morning prayer that I wrote and it'll just follow you. It'll like have morning prayer on one page and on the other page will be like explanation of what's going on. Oh, so good. To just walk you through it. Um, and the, another one is a companion to anti-communion, that first part of the communion service that uh, Drew wrote. And it does the same thing. It just walks you through the service, explains what's going on. So those are good resources for listeners. And if you have show notes, we can put a link up. Yeah, we will. This has been so good. Just last question for you guys. Um, if I'm reading this at least once every three days, I'm at least doing the morning prayer, for example. Um, like, wh what's it going to do? Like, obviously, I'm going to feel pretty pious. But like, how's it going to shape me? Like, am I going to like what? you know, like when you squeeze someone that what comes out is what they are. Like if you were to squeeze me, what will sort of come out with me beyond just this language? How will it shape me as a, as a dad or just in my comings and goings or the way I view myself or, you know, those around me? Let, let me start with a bit of an unpopular answer since liturgy is very much in vogue now and has been in vogue for a little while. And, uh, uh, lots of people are interested in it, including I, my guess is lots of people listening to this right now. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess the unpopular answer is um, nothing. Um, it will not by itself do anything to shape you. Just going through, um, going, reading the words by itself won't do it. Mm -hmm. um, you've got to, uh, you've got to think about it. You've got to meditate on it. Um, that's why Psalm 1 describes the, that, that blessed man as the one who meditates or the way it's put in the prayer book Psalter exercises um, himself or herself in the law of God. Um, and so, um, so it takes work, like it's an active thing. Sure. Um, and it takes the Holy Spirit as part of our belief as Christians in the Trinity is that, uh, and the Augustinian view that it all has to come from God's grace and has to be given to us. Mm -hmm. So um, what that means is um, um, God gives you the scriptures as a gift, but you've got to, you got to take it. You got to mm -hmm. receive it. Mm -hmm. And so just being in the presence of it doesn't by itself form you to be like Christ. And so um, one answer is, is, is nothing, but, but then you could say more, you could say everything. And I would say it, it again, it, you have to be an active participant, but the book has provided so many cues to help make you an active participant that it becomes increasingly difficult to not be an active participant. I mean, it's almost like one of the things I say to my students is this class, you have to try to fail, mm. right? Because I've put in so many things to help you pass this class that you've got to actively avoid them. So for instance, in morning prayer, you're going to say every day before you do the scripture readings, before you do the Psalms, you're going to read Psalm 95 first every day. 
And Psalm 95 says, today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation. So it's warning you as you listen to this scripture, wow. if you have a hard heart, it's not going to work. Wow. So that the seed is being cast and it's trying to help till the ground. But if you have a hard heart, then it's not going to work. Uh, one thing that I also think you'll notice pretty quickly is that uh, it's asking you to pray for certain things regularly that you wouldn't have thought on thought of on your own. Nice. Because when you're just doing impromptu prayer, which is extremely valuable, this is not a, a replacement for spontaneous prayer. Uh, you, you don't always remember to pray for certain things mm -hmm. or you're praying for things that feel urgent, but aren't necessarily the things that are important. Those two things don't always line up exactly. Mm -hmm. And so it is going to have you praying for what is important on a daily basis, regardless of whether you feel like it uh, or whether it feels urgent at the moment. And that's going to reshape how you think about your prayer life because you're going to start realizing how important those things are and that you have neglected them or not thought about them sufficiently up until now. So that was certainly one of the things that changed for me early on, was realizing how much my prayer life was only shaped by the immediate and the urgent yep. rather than the important. Yep. Jason, can I give one more tack on one more uh, piece of the answer to that um, as to how it's going to form you? Um, I, I think a key part of how the uh, morning and evening prayer is supposed to form us is the Psalms. And the Psalms have been um, um, sort of the, the hymnal and prayer book combined for God's people for a long time. Mm. Um, and so, um, this is uh, one, of the, one of the key features of the Psalms here is that when you're reading morning and evening prayer, you'll notice you read a lot of Psalms. Like some days you'll read three Psalms, you'll read four Psalms. Um, on days you get short Psalms, you might read more than that. Um, so you read a lot of Psalms. And at first it might seem odd, like I'm reading about all different kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and some of this is going to resonate with me and some it might be harder for me to pick up. It just doesn't. I, there's not something that immediately um, catches me. And um, the way some of the church fathers like Ambrose and Athanasius thought about this was they, they compared the Psalms to a medicine chest. Um, uh, we now say like a medicine cabinet. And it's got all these different kinds of medicines in it. So it's got a cure for whatever is wrong with your soul. Mm -hmm. So if, um, if uh, you, you're low and you need to be brought up or you're high and you need to be brought down, yeah. There's a psalm for that. And so by reading a big enough chunk of the psalms, what it does is there is something in them that can be what you need for that day. And so um, what those do, though, is those psalms then turn you to sort of shape you in the image of the one who um, is preeminently the blessed man of Psalm 1 and um, the one who... Um, who prays the Psalms in the New Testament, which is Jesus. So, um, so they sort of prepare you for everything, every season of life, the hard, the, the easy, the good, the bad. Um, there's a Psalm for it. And um, if you read the Psalms every, through every month, then it's forming you and preparing you for that. Um, though uh, it doesn't do it mechanically. Again, you need, you need grace and, uh, and perseverance. My, uh, my late grandmother always said to me, uh, Drew, always read the Psalms. The heart of God is in the Psalms. And every day she read the Psalms before she read anything else in the Bible. 
And so that pattern was already there. You know, she never used the prayer book. She didn't know about the prayer book and uh, she's with the Lord now. But I think the pattern of the prayer book is the one that she discovered through her own experience of engaging with scripture is that you need the Psalms every day. The heart of God is in the Psalms. Brothers, this has been so compelling. Yeah. It's not always coconuts and pineapples, huh? <laughs> um, yeah, this has really been good. I'm actually, I'm not just saying I'm legit so excited to, um, to start using this thing. I even read like a, a tutorial last night and I had, I still had no idea, but I feel super equipped. Thank you for like, I just had you guys break it down. And that was really cool of you guys to, to do that with me. We've been talking with Samuel L. Bray and Drew Keen who are together editors of um, the just recently released, I think in March, the 1662 Book of Common Prayer, which like aesthetically, this thing looks good, by the way. But like I said, we're giving away two copies. Just share, retweet, post this interview, tag a friend, and we'll uh, send it to you and whoever you tag. Uh, we're going to choose one of you guys. Brothers, thank you so much. Thank you, Jason. We came for salvation. We came for family, we came for all that's good, that's how we'll walk away. We came to break the bad, we came to cheer the sad, we came to leave.